Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Okay, so today we'll talk with the Talk Animal Cognition on... This is where we were last time. We were talking about some school story breaks down. We showed with the crafts. Uh, the market story seeds in the lab. Then we covered the catch seeds better than the place seeds. So again, this shows that really they're fighting for They also, when, when they move, remove half the seeds, they still go to the place, the places of the removed seeds and the seeds that are uh, there at the same rate. So they're using them. They're using smell or something. Everybody always seems to assume that animals, when they do anything, are, are somehow using odor. Uh, they aren't. Now, there's others are general memory tests that would be used. <coughs> and there are clearly differences between stores and non stores in the core of the family. The core of the family are pros and the non pros. Um, I just threw these slides in. These were actually in earlier in the year uh, in another lecture. I, I thought I'd review the brain stuff. Um, Dave Sherry uh, and his colleagues, and also John Krebs and his colleagues, uh, this is roughly the same year, looked at hippocampal volume, correctly for body weight, and they found they had some larger food stores than his blood store. Uh, so this is, they found in parrots, that's, that's actually the fault of the group of parrots, they both look at uh, chickens and tickets, that's parrots. Okay? Um, the same stuff is found in the Corpus Biochemist group, and you can see that this is just the same data showing two different ways. And that's both from Sherry. This is looking at hippocampal volume, this is looking at telencephalon volume. Telencephalon is the closest thing to birds at, birds have to a full cortex. Birds don't look like birds. And you can see the stores are in blue here, and the non-stores are in black here. Same thing here, they're in blue, and they're in red here. Okay, so basically what this says is that the food storing birds in the parasite, the coordinates we know, and they actually show a difference in memory tests. So but the parents uh, also show the same difference in hippocampus. You don't see that in, uh, oh, I don't know, great tits versus same tits. Great tits, those sorts of things. So, this is very clear that there's, there's not only the hippocampal volume bigger, but also the cell density. The cell density is bigger. It's kind of a cool picture. Did you talk about the father dragon? No. Unless my father dragon stores food and recovers an hour days later from consumption. Does he? <coughs> Does he? <laughs> ah, you don't know, do you? You should learn the natural history of Star Trek. It'll help you ask these interesting comparative questions, John. Um, and I talked again, I, I, I believe these slides I talked about, I believe the, entire, the title of, it, of this uh, slide set early on in the course was called More. <laughs> so it's just more introductory stuff. I mean, technically, was the name of this. So you've seen this before. 
This is Sherry Vaccarino. Uh, they, this is Dave, this is Tony Vaccarino's honors, uh, actually. Uh, and yeah, they let birds store food. They legion hit the campus and after the birds. And then they watch to see if they can still do the task. So the interesting thing is they still store food and they still search for food. So hippocampus isn't controlling food storing per se. They just can't find it. It's controlling its memory. So this together with the shared data, preps data, data, make it pretty darn clear what's going on here. So you look pre-surgery, hippocampal lesion control. This is visits to places where they put food versus visits to places where they didn't put Okay, you see that? Uh, and then they lesion them. And now they're just, they have no freaking clue what they're doing. Okay? They're still looking. He's just finding it. Okay, so questions about that brain stuff before we move on? This was actually the next slide, as you know, I just thought I'd throw this stuff in. So now we have again, I'm going to discuss the hippocampus. Hippocampus plays a big role in memory. We also know from other interesting data collected by Nikki Clayton that black cat chickadees, uh, sorry, marsh tits, uh, are, when they, when they, what was it, born, when they're hatched, their hippocampal volume is no different than a non storing bird, say, great thing. Oh, I'm sorry, wait, wait, that's wrong. Uh, it's already bigger. But if they don't store food by 44 days post hatch, the hippocampus shrinks to the size of a non food storing bird. It's uh, very striking. It's a, it's a sensitive period, and if they haven't stored food yet, and how do they store uh, little baby birds? What they do is they pick up a seed and they just walk it over to another place and drop it. They don't actually even put doing like a grown up chickadee does or a grown up marsh does. That's better. I'd say you don't think about Not like just, or not just coughing or sneezing into the air. <laughs> it makes a messier iPad, too. I'm fine. Yeah, thanks for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> You're really classing the joint up, right? Zero Dark Thirty? No, we're not going to talk about Zero Dark Thirty. Who wants me to take you to see the movie Zero Dark Thirty? Why are you going to take an 11 year old kid to Zero Dark Thirty? Would you? I don't think it's a good idea. It's a bad idea. So we know that the hippocampus plays a role. We know some of this developmental stuff, which is very cool. Um, and it shows up in the parents that the hippocampal stuff, but we haven't found any data that clearly show there are differences in memory between storing and non-storing parents after all these years. And this was really bothering people that were studying parrots. People studying the Corbett's Al Campbell's group, studying the nutcrackers and, and gray jays and blue jays. So they were no problem. They were finding really neat data. Uh, I think I showed you or talked about Deborah Olson's work. John, please, not right now. Uh, Deborah Olson's work where she had two keys lit up. And what, so let's say this one lights up here, and then there's a retention interval. And then you show the two keys again, and if you pick this one, you get food. And Clark's Nutcrackers blew away other food stores, or just a little, but they were way ahead of, say, gray jays, which were ahead of the blue jays, or they were in a kind of way. And then pigeons were horrible, but it was all based on the food stores, more food storing the better at this task. Exactly what you would predict. People tried this with marsh tits and gray tits, which is a, you know, the classic choice that was uh, done over in the UK, because 
they're very closely related, one source and one doesn't. So you've got this beautiful experiment in nature, except that they were finding a difference. Well, half the time they were, and half the time they weren't. It was equivocal. And it was very annoying. So those of us that were working on the parrots, um, <coughs> thought maybe it might be better to worry about what, not how they remember, sorry, how much they remember, but how they remember. Let's look at the contents, shh, the contents of their memory, rather than how long their memories last. Maybe they're doing something differently. Now, what's your question? Um, um, are you really there for mature? I'm really there for mature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to have a t-shirt that said, uh, that it had like a rating, about course language and violence, which is me. <laughs> How much of it you do. So this work was uh, was my idea actually. Uh, the idea of looking at what they're remembering, not how much they're remembering. That's that's me. This is stuff I did when I was a graduate student. All right, I'm sitting in Sarah's backyard. Uh, Montreal, this one was Stanley Cup. I was just finished my PhD. That's a party for me because I just finished my. I was leaving in a couple of days. That's why I'm wearing a maybe it's a t-shirt because we just want to say we got So what I was doing was I was comparing stores and non-stores in what they remember in different tasks, not how much they remember. Because I figured the key was that they were doing it differently somehow. Not that they remembered more. I think it's also true probably with Clark's Nutcrackers. <laughs> but and a pair of Corbett's, I think it's true there too. I don't come to your class and handle me. Um, I don't try to teach beside your teacher. That'd be funny. Yeah? No? Okay. Oh, no. Quiet. Can you do that for this? Right. Okay. So I figured that what's interesting here might be how much, sorry, how they're remembering these things. And I, I think it's probably also true, and I'll show you some data later to prove this, or show this, that this is also the case here, just that the difference is so striking in, in things like a Clark's Nutcracker that it also makes it into a quantity of things. Okay? So this is work that that's not the achievement. This is made the name for it, or like a show kind of fun. There's two papers. There's, uh, <coughs> night experiments or something like that. That's chapter two of my PhD thesis, and that's chapter three of my PhD thesis. Okay, so the 94 paper, here's what I did. And I've talked about this in other classes. Here with me, if you've seen this before, or that's too bad, I'm going to hear about it again because it is truly, really good. I peaked at 26. Um, so, I had theaters in a room, and they were about kind of a piece, a piece of two by four, and they're about this big. Okay? And they had a hole drilled in them, 
I had a little perch, a little piece of dowling. I made these. Uh, yes, with my garden skills, I made these. And they were all colored differently. There were a hundred and four of them. Different yeah, 104 different. They were differently colored, and they had all kinds of things on them. Everything from like uh, uh, one of them I remember had an arrow pointing to where the peanut would be, like the hole in the thing. One of them had uh, uh, like it looked like it had leaves on it. One of them just had a bunch of Canadian's crest. One of them had an Expo's crest. Uh, one of them said U2. They were banned. Uh, it was a Canadian flag, a Canadian flag. Uh, all kinds of stuff. My wife and I painted them one afternoon. She's actually thanking me in Rabbit County 4 to thank you for show for decorating the theaters. So that's kind of fun. Um, so, at 104, I would randomly choose, or my computer would randomly choose four theaters a day. And I would also randomly choose where to put them in a room. They were going to hang on the wall. The room was about half the size of, three quarters the size of this room. So I'd sit, I'd sit at a, uh, a window with, with sort of had smoke glass kind of thing so you couldn't, the birds couldn't see that I was sitting there. And I would let them in, I would open a trap door in their cage and a trap door in the apiary. They'd fly in, they'd see these, this array of feeders, and one of the feeders had a peanut in it. They usually stopped, they either hang upside down from the ceiling, there was chicken wire everywhere, so they hang feeders up. They either hang upside down, so or they would perch in the middle of a perch that I had in the room, and they'd look, and they'd find the, and they just go, see here, they'd land, and they'd start pecking, and the stopwatch starts. 30 seconds. After 30 seconds, lights go off in the room, like a light would go on in their home cage, and chickadees, just a sec, John, and chickadees hate the dark, so they would fly to the light. If they, if they didn't, I would actually have to sneak in, um, and with a, with a butterfly and catch it. And you walk because the lights are off, and you can it with your foot because the birds pick around and you step on the bird. Right. You had a question, John. If, if I sneeze into the air. If you sneeze into the air, I will be happy. You'll get people sick. You want these guys to get sick, they're nice people. <laughs> if I get these people sick, that wouldn't be good. Poke okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, you asked for it, buddy. Like it's, it's on record. Like it's recorded. That's not abuse or anything. That's actually right here. Okay. So after now I'm starting to clock in at five minutes. But after five minutes have gone by, I let the bird back in the room. I put Velcro and all these things. That's why the circles like that. They're all covered up. The bird flies back in, and then I count how many times. Um, how many visits it. How many visits uh, it takes for the bird to find the, the food? Typical day, and after about 15 or 20 days, they're very good at it. In fact, they're perfect at it. So what do I do now? I want to know what they're remembering. I would randomly move this over, left or right, depending on what the computer told me to do. The computer being a Commodore Amiga 500, for it was 1991. Um... I'd also swap a couple of them. So you see what happens here. This is on a, on, a, on a day when I would do a test. There's the study phase. The test phase, I'd move the whole thing over. I've also swapped this one with this one. Right? This one is in the correct position in the array, the spatial array. This one is in the correct spatial location in the room. And this one here is in the, is the correct color. 
So now there are three different components. This is a compound stimulus. This field is a compound stimulus. Right? So there are three different components in this. The local spatial views, you can call them, which are just the words in the array. The absolute spatial position in the room itself, and the color of the feeder. And then I could, of course, I don't do this beta, I don't move the peanut now, but I want to see where are they going to go. Okay? So they would find the feeder and return later to eat it. And then I would move the, the feeders around to dissociate color and spatial location. As you can see from the graph here, on the test days, the most likely place was to go to the spatial location, then to the array position, and the third choice was to the color. I made them make, make all four choices. Once they made the three, though, it was really hard to get them to go to this theater, the one that had nothing to do with the originally dated theater. Sometimes I would sit there. I actually had a time limit of 10 minutes. And the bird, they would just sit there and kind of stare at me like, now it can't be that one. Do you understand the paradigm? See what I did? Okay. Now, I also tried this with non-story birds. That was, that's where the comparison comes in. Uh, there are no non-story parrots in North America. Uh, we thought there were until my friend Rob went to Arizona and camped out for six weeks and caught birds and turned out to non-story food. So I caught dark-eyed juncos. Dark-eyed juncos, junco hyamalus. They're about that big, same size as a chicken, a little bigger maybe, about 18 grams. They're also called slate-colored juncos. They got black eyes, and they're um, the color of this floor. That kind of color gray. Oops. Oops. Hey, gosh. The neat thing is that they migrate. Though there are ones that live around, year-round, um, they, they do seem to migrate. Okay. So they solve like what a food story evolved. Well, it's a way to deal with food scarcity. They solve the food scarcity that the jungles, the way most animals, most, most birds solve food scarcity. They leave. The dark-eyed jungles wipe the space array and color equally off. And then their fourth choice was the one that had nothing to do with the originally made theater. So their graphs look like all equal, nothing. All equal, very little. All equal, yeah, very little, nothing. Do you understand the, the results? Make sense? By the way, it gave me the broadband effect, which is kind of neat. It's in one other paper that I didn't write, though. That's the big so we tried on the same scale using a computer touchscreen. That's the project that showed up flat. So in this experiment, oh, I have pictures of this one. In this experiment on a computer touchscreen, it was literally about that size. Uh, the birds were presented with and let's make this one that color and this one that color. You know, it was a it was a good monitor, so I had a choice of sixteen colors. Well, fifteen, because I couldn't use black because the background was black, and I used white for something else. So I had a choice of fourteen colors. So high end gear. It actually was very expensive gear at the time. One of the one of these had a black dot on it. 
So it's that one. The bird's task is to go peck at this. That's uh, our ten. So you text it's ten? Five or ten? Maybe five. It doesn't matter. Then he gets some food. This goes blank. It comes back on. And the dot's gone. He's got to go back to where he was. It's exactly the same task, basically, as what before. Um, they learn this after a number of trials. And now I would switch these two around and see where they go first. Right? Do they go to the space or the color? And they went to space first, then the color. The jumbos half the time went to the space, half the time went to the color. So one place or another, different color patches on the screen, and I switched them around, and the chickies relied on space, the jumbos didn't. I shouldn't say they didn't. They relied on space, the jumbos, as much as they relied on color. I determined that chickadees, when you directly test on color, see there's two ways you can solve this task. You can solve it with space or color. So I'm not actually asking the animals to remember color, I'm asking them I'm sure they can if they want to, basically, right? Those other experiments actually made them remember color, and they were horrible at it, and it took hundreds and hundreds of trials. Because basically, we're overshadowing. My view here is that space in food stores overshadows color. It overshadows everything else. Everything else is overshadowed by space in a food store. Because it, it, it remembers, in this kind of task, when it has to do with food, because it remembers where the food is. Because it doesn't, it dies. Questions? Any sense? Yes, two pieces of sea cloth. That would be a question if they can't see color. They can. If they can discriminate them, they can see it, they also have all the gear in their eyes. The sea color. So they must be able to see color. Are you a No, I'm not a Osama Big Do you have a lunch? No, not yet. Yes. Why don't you wait? If I have my lunch. It's 10.30. When do you get when do you lunch at school? It's today. No, no, when do you lunch at school? What time? Um 3.30. Hmm, if you come home at 3.30. Yeah, I know. As soon as you get home, you eat again. Um, I'm watching Zoom Daphne. Okay, good. Um, if I see so over the year, So functionally. I think this makes a great deal of sense. Um, birds remember where something is, not what color it is. They will remember the color, but they really prefer the space and it overshadows color. Colors change over time. The line of trees over there are still going to be there when I come back to find food. And then chickadees, for example, which is what I work on, remember locations of stored food up to 28 days later. A John Stockett. Okay? You're starting to bug me. Don't. Do you understand? Sorry. Okay. Be nice. Can you please be nice? Be nice. Yeah. Be nice. No. Face. What's right. Okay. Okay. Are you all... Okay. Right. Okay. Um, 
So then that's worked by Chris Hitchcock, the 28-day number. Uh, Anders Broken, actually, uh, we found they could go up to 56 days, but he wasn't sure at that point that it wasn't just... Uh, that was hash site reference for each bird that wasn't necessarily memory, whereas Chris has shown 28 days is memory. Pretty cool. Um, so the line of trees over there is going to be there in 28 days. Most of the food, by the way, they were covering, they, they, they stored yesterday. Oops. Okay. Don't stop it. It's bad. Yeah, it is. Uh, the strange result in a lot of respects is the jungle. You know, it's not like space isn't important to junglers. They still have to find where their nests are. Right? It's a weird result. Now, I think this has always been my guess. It, the reason this happened is because this is so much like food story that the chickadees show this big difference a lot more than, say, the juncos do. Uh, in other tasks that are a little more, um, let's call them vanilla, not with the moving all over the place, that kind of thing, pigeons, for example, do feed their space, and I think I've talked about that before. Um, yeah, I mentioned this the other day, that when, when me and uh, Michael Aaron and Stephanie Vaughn and, I'm uh, sorry, Stephen Vaughn and Stephanie Grant uh, did the thing with the pigeons, and we moved the, the they just had three different lighted up keys, lit up keys. Um, they showed a, a pigeon showed a, a preference for space over color. But again, I think that it's because it's so, such a small number of locations, not this almost infinite number of possible, or, you know, large number of possible locations and many, many different colors compared to just three different colors. Um, I can also say, by the way, the same thing has been found. The same thing has been found with storing and non-storing corvids, uh, and also storing and non-storing parents over the UK. So it's a robust effect. It's not like something that I just got lucky and I found. And then the rest of the joke. Now, questions so far? Good sense? All right. This is actually, as you can probably guess, this is a talk of some stuff I did back when I was in Newfoundland. Um, and this is work on pine siskins. And this is using the same kind of approach, but doing a field experiment. So that's it's hard to see that. Let's see. Those are pine siskins. By the way, this is this is in actually what's in Deer Lake. She Pasadena. It's Pasadena. Jessica lived in Pasadena. She had a summer internship with me. Uh, that's June. Notice how there are no leaves on the trees. This is why I don't live in Newfoundland anymore. Uh, that's Jessica there. So, I'll show you a picture of her. Uh, and actually, it was a big enough deal that, and you live in a small enough town, town of 20,000 people, when you win, you get an answer to it in the paper there. So, it's kind of cool. Um, all right. So, pine siskins, they're a kind of finch, and they breed in North America, northern North America, off around Newfoundland. You don't even see a lot of pine siskins here. Um, and they make weird migratory invasions into central and southern the southern U.S. about every, if you average it out, about every between nine and eleven years. They usually are year-round residents, um, 
but they make these, and they do a lot of people hit, but they, they go so really far in the central and southern parts of the U.S. even into Mexico, and go really far south every so often, every 10 years. They make these huge, they call migratory invasions. They don't usually end up that far south. They might come down a little bit further south of here, sing down to Mountain, Ohio, Pennsylvania. They mostly go to the swing states uh, during their typical migration. But sometimes they go really far south. Um, we used them because they were on the West Coast of Newfoundland. I mean, that's, that's where we lived. Okay, so Jessica was doing a summer insert with me, and she said, uh, it was funny, she applied for a summer insert, and she, then she they said, there's two people you can do it with, two people that have inserts right now at the school, where I was in the There's Dr. Broadback and Dr. Forbes, and she said, what's, what's Dr. Forbes doing? He's an astronomer. Let's talk to Dr. Broadback. So I gave her a bunch of stuff, said, read this and come back. And this was her idea. So here you can see, again, this is her backyard in June. Note the lack of leaves. This is June 1st. This is how depressing it was to be there. Okay? That's what I'm saying. This is what Keogh grew up in, so just remember that. So if you had a Wayne and you think that, you know, he's, he's kind of getting maybe a little annoying something, remember, he lived in a place where there's no leaves on the trees until like the middle of June. And then in six weeks, it was winter again. If Dwayne sees a shadow, he gets six more weeks of, I don't know how that works. But, <laughs> so that's passive. It's funny, passive in Newfoundland, it's actually literally named after the place in California. It really is. Uh, a woman from Pasadena moved there. She was literally the little old lady from Pasadena, which I think is hilarious. Alright. So. We, the first thing we decided to do was test if they could be trained to go to different feeders that had different amounts of food in them. Now, this was again, this is a field experience. This is actually in her backyard. She did her summer insert sitting in her backyard. That's what she liked in her day. So, feeders are placed a few meters apart with sunflower seeds in a 3 to 2 to 1 ratio. It's actually three cups of sunflower seeds to two cups of sunflower seeds to one cup of sunflower seeds. And you can see them here. See the feeders here? So they're different colors. We got a green one, a red one, and a yellow one. And that's got three cups, two cups, and one cup. Uh, and my insert, Grant bought these lovely four by fours. <laughs> these were feeders at the uh, time. So these are blocks of five observation sessions. We don't know. We didn't have an abandoned bird population. We just had a whole bunch of birds in their backyard. But you can see here that very quickly they're going, this is percentage of visits. This is about 500 visits a day. So there were a lot of birds. And she was using a technique uh, called time sampling. So what she would do is she would look at one feeder. She, was, she would have this recording on her iPod, and it would just every 30 seconds say switch. And she would look at the next feeder, and the next one would switch. So she just sampling each one. <coughs> okay, Let's see if it was birds there. So, where are we? Okay. So it seems they clearly couldn't do this. They were visited, in fact, in a three to two to one ratio. Great. Of course, couldn't do the birds actually seeing how many seed was in each feeder, right? Or it could have been, do, you know. So 
we wanted to get rid of that idea, so they could have actually emptied the rightmost feeder first because it had less amount of food and they can't go there anymore. So they basically, in other words, are they seeing how much food is left? And when it's empty, they don't go there anymore. That would explain the three to two to one. So we covered the, the, up the feeders and started swapping one feeder with another during test observation sessions. So instead of going green, red, yellow, we would now have one test that went red, green, yellow. And see, we covered it up now. So now the birds, these windows normally are full, are not our open rather, so the bird can see. Now they're covered up with brown paper, so it doesn't find this good. He actually can't see, or she, I don't know, how much food's in there. So now we know if they're doing this, they're doing it using memory, they're not doing it based on, oh, I see there's a lot of seeds left, or there's none left there. So we need to swap it around, and I basically made my career of switching stimuli around. That's my thing that I do. Now, so what we've done here, this is red, our green, red, yellow, that's what we had. And you can see, so this is like a baseline. So now if we switch green and red around, oh, they go to the red one first, the one on the left. So this goes, you read this left to right, this is spatial position, and the color of the bar is the color. Same here, we switch around green and yellow, right? No, yellow and red, they do this. Here we switched around, that looks the same, it shouldn't. Oh no, and green and yellow, I see. Now, the weird thing is, so right here, if we didn't have done these tests, let's pretend these didn't happen, we would say they're completely relying on spatial location. However, if we switch, if we take uh, the green one and put it all the way over to the right, you either time, everything collapses, and they go to each one equally. Now remember, we don't know what angle we need to control it to the left, what angle they approach the array of fevers from. But as soon as they went, as soon as the green one was the, 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 the sort of most profitable feeder, was in was supposed to be the least profitable, profitable position, the birds started to treat it as if it was a brand new array of feeders. Right? Because they're not just going equally like. <coughs> Make sense? You see, there's any data? Well, are you Thomas Haley Church? I don't know what that means, John. Um, <laughs> the systems are responding based on space, sort of. <coughs> they respond based on space if the most probable fear is not in the exact opposite position it should be in. When it's in exactly the opposite position, they completely that they treat it like a brand new array of fears. Right. They treat it like a brand new array of feeders. Questions on this? This, has, this is actually written up. Um, that's the conference presentation. But if you look upstairs, you know we all have to go to articles up. It's uh, Humber, Rybeck, and Workington, 2009. So it's actually written up on my. Uh, All right. Is there any questions on this? Does this make sense? So you see, you do the same kind of thing after the while. The wilds of Pasadena, Newfoundland. Uh, because this was a talk at the end, I always give thanks to people. Uh, that was my, my research assistant, Craig Keynes, who's now a school teacher in Cornerbrook, ironically, in Newfoundland. That is Eric Legg. Eric is now a PhD student in Marcy Spetch's lab. He's having, today's his 29th birthday. 
There's John, and you some of may have fallen asleep in the back of the car because I'm boring. And this conference was important. And that's what the front of my house looked like in Florida. See how much snow there is? Again, I feel sorry for Dwayne. He lived here. For, he grew up. I just lived there six years. He grew up with snow like that. And that's not a matter of perspective. When you stand on that snow bank, you go into our bedroom window. That's disturbing. Right. Questions? Any of that stuff? Okay, good. Now, we can generally talk about animal memory. We can generally talk about. So those are, some, I think, some interesting data, mostly because it's all stuff I did. But we can talk about any animal memory experiment that there are two kinds of memory. This is an idea that uh, Vern Honig from um, Dalhousie University, this is Vern Honig's idea, that there are two kinds of memory. We can divide. Are they systems? I don't know. Are they modules? We don't call. There are ways of understanding tasks. Let's really start there. Now, there's working memory, which is the memory needed to solve one trial of a test or a task. Okay. The memory needed to solve one trial of a task. So. Have I already been down this arm of a maze? So if we thought about a, a radio maze experiment, we talked about radio maze early in early days, back in September. Back when the temperature was the same as it is today, global warming. Is anybody disturbed by this? This weather? Didn't that scare the crap out of you? Should. Okay. I know it's just one day and it's could be a blip. I know that, but it scares the crap out of me. So let's say the animal's passed. Let's put the, uh, say these four arms are baited. Okay? The animal goes in, and they, they remember this very quickly. Now, once you've gone down this arm, that's reference memory, or sorry, working memory. Do I go down that arm again? Well, no. Because to complete this trial of this task, I have to remember where I've been. The working memory part, this is the rules of the game. The working memory part is these four arms are always baited, and I have to go down to the end of them and eat the food. Do you see the difference between working and reference memory? So in any given task, there is a working memory component and a reference memory component. Okay? So, are these separate systems? Um, little class. Hippocampal functions disrupt working memory. They don't disrupt reference memory. So, in this, in fact, in this very task, in this very task here, the eight arm radio is four arms baited, four arms unbaited. We train the animals up. We then take half the animals and we each hit campus, other half the animals. We don't. It's a, there's a control condition. And actually, there's about five control conditions. Let's just leave that where it is. Pretend there's one control group. In the control group, they're fine. 
after you know they, they've recovered from the sham surgery or the uh, could be the, the, the anesthetic you've been given. There's all kinds of possibilities. Now the lesion group, the group that now has no hippocampus, they remember where these four arms are. They don't go down these arms. The unbated arms, they don't go down. They don't go down the beta arms. They just keep going down some of the same ones. Because they can't remember where the hell they've been. They remember the rules of the game, that it's these four arms that are baited, but they can't remember which one on this trial they've been down. So hippocampal lesions affect working memory, not reference memory. So it makes sense that they are a separate system of some sort. It's possible. So do you understand working in reference memory? Okay, because I'm going to use that now as a, I'm going to ask you that everything I taught you, what's the working reference part, what's the reference memory part? Okay, so in delayed matching to sample, here's delayed matching to sample. I've talked about this before. Red light comes on, we have a retention interval, then the animal gets a choice between red light and green light. If the animal pecks the red light, he gets food. If the animal pecks the green light, he gets no food. Um, of course, red and green here switch day to day, or sorry, trial to trial, uh, and the position switches randomly, and so does the sample. They have to match to sample. What's the reference memory, or what's, let's go easier, part. what's the working memory portion of this task? What's the working memory portion of delayed matching to sample? Location. Which one? Location. Uh, one new location here because it's, uh, we're doing with color. John. The color, remembering the color, but even and we could say that there's actually two possible ways they're solving this too, right? They could be remembering what color they saw, or they could be remembering what color they're supposed to pack. That's kind of hard to get at, though there is a way, and we won't have time to talk about it today. There's actually a way to get at that. But that's what it is. What's the reference memory part of this? What are the rules? I heard somebody say matching. Yeah. The rule is match the sample. Or, there's another way you can do it. Gift. So you can remember one rule, match the sample. Or you can remember two rules, hit red, pet red, and green, pet green. Gargamel. Are you a wizard Gargamel? No, am I the wizard Gargamel? Why? No, I'm not. If you use Bradford. No. Oh. But you know, when I was in grade 13, I, uh, my algebra teacher looked just like. I use Bart. Like, just like Bart. I use Bart. I use Bart. No. So, you could remember match the sample, but you could also remember if red, pet red, and green, pet green. Again, you might think to yourself, how, how in the hell are you going to parse those two apart? You can, and I'll show you. But do you see what the reference memory and working memory components are? One of them is the rules, match the sample or if red, pet, red, or green, pet, green. Um, or, and the working memory rule is 
What did I just see, or what should I pack? It's one or the other. You can also do delayed non-matching sample. If you pack red, if red was the sample, you pack green. So, and again, the word reference memory part of that is don't match the sample. Or if red, pack green, if green, pack red. So, the neat thing here is doing these tasks, as I said, I'm just showing, I'm just saying, there are different ways to solve the task. And if you just have the animal and you see that it does this, you can't get at that. You actually have to do something a little more subtle. So, Macintosh, Wilson, and folks um, in 1982, Looked at, remember I talked about comparing jackdaws and pigeons? That's the fact that they did. And this is the paper that I got the idea from my PhD work from. So, they trained both pigeons and jackdaws up on standard old matching sample red, red, green. And they were wondering about the working memory part of this. I'm sorry, the reference memory part of it. Were they remember, was the rule they were remembering matched to sample? Or was the rule they were remembering if red, pet red, if green, pet green? So how would you get at that? Green, 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 green. Oh, by the way, train both pictures and jackdaws, take the same amount of time, and they're equally good at this. Please, 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 please. I have some the colors. Exact amount. <laughs> I, I actually used it on purpose. I just came out of this. Um, yes, exactly. Change the colors. So that's what they did. So they, they switched over from red and green to blue and yellow. So they've trained them up. They're both equally good at this. It takes the same amount of time. And if you didn't think about what rules they could use, you would say, they do the same way. They use blue and blue and yellow. If they are remembering <laughs> that red, pet, red, and green, pet, green, they should suck at this. It's like blue and yellow, my whole world's collapsing. I don't know what to do. Oh, too bad it's going to Dragon. You have Spider the Dragon, I downloaded them for your PS3. Where'd you buy it? You went to run it. Well, you can't run up on that. Please. Please reverse the bad things. Not what? Well, you can't play Spyro Dragon. Is it the iPad? No. Shh. These people didn't pay to hear you ramble about Spyro. <laughs> okay. Well, they didn't pay to hear me either, but the difference is really negligible when you think about it. Um, so, if they're remembering if red, pet, red, green, pet, green, they should be horrible when they change the colors. If they're remembering match to sample, this would be a little problem for a bit. There's something we call generalization decrement, which is just that it's a, it's a basically a generalization problem. It's like, oh, blue. Do I pet blue? Yeah, I guess so. So, they, they're actually a little bit at the very beginning. They wouldn't be too good at this, but very quickly, after like a few trials, they're fine. That was no chance. And that's what happened. With jackdaws. They remembered match to sample. That was the rule they remember. You know, pigeons work? If red, pet, red, if green, pet, green. Pigeons had to relearn the whole thing. 
Because I can take the page and say, yeah, three and three is six. They go, okay, I got that. And they say, yeah, three and four is, well, I can't go with four. It's like, you know, teaching a little kid math. You ever done that? Teaching their, their addition facts. At first, they remember, they memorize all of them. Then eventually, get the concept of, oh, wait, I just add the two numbers. Right? It's an exceedingly clever experiment. This is what uh, totally inspired the work for most of my career, actually, of the animal cognition stuff. That it all comes from that, that paper. Because of that, it made it so cool. And you could get inside an animal's head like that, right? You totally get inside the animal's head without doing any wet neuroscience, right? But you're actually, and you can't even ask the animal, right? I could ask you, you'd probably be wrong about how your memory works, but you should give me an idea. If I said, how did you solve this task? Most of the time, you probably don't know. It's usually inaccessible to consciousness. But you might be able to. You might be able to. Here, we can't ask him. You can't ask him. But understand this experiment. You okay? Both of these. Preparations, delayed matching, delayed non-matching, are subject to proactive and retroactive interference. Now, you might remember this from intro. Um, proactive interference is, is, is old stimuli interfering with remembering new stimuli. So it's like when you're looking for your keys in the morning and you go, oh, I think I know where they are. They're right by the Xbox. Because when I sit down on the floor to play Xbox, I take my keys out of my pocket. This might do Calm down, Tony. Okay. So I go look there, it's like, oh no, that wasn't yesterday. That wasn't today. That was two days ago. That's proactive interference. Retroactive interference is new material interfering with remembering old material. And this is something we typically think of in human memory. But in fact, these tasks are totally subject to retroactive and proactive interference. It takes longer to train animals up using unique stimuli. So if you use, did matching the sample with, with pictures, and they were all unique, so trial unique stimuli, it's harder to train because you actually have to teach them match the sample. They can't remember. You know, if red, peck red, green, peck green, because every single trial is different. So teaching a pigeon that's hard because pigeons apparently are stupid. You don't want to learn that. But eventually, you learn it, and then you compare them over time. They can have much longer retention intervals than this here, because here, when they're remembering what the last key was, they're also remembering what. I agree. Shh, please. They're remembering what all the other ones are too. Right. John, please, cover your mouth when you burp. It's not much. It's not no. nice. No. It's not nice. Don't do it again. Whoops. Girl, take your ear off. Put up your nose. Can I ride the bar the dragon? Shh, no, it's part of the dragon. Okay. So, if you, you use trial and you don't get the proactive interference. When you use the same stimuli repeating, it's like they're remembering, was that the last trial or the trial before? That's an approach that's used a lot by Tony Wright. 
uh, at uh, Rice University in Houston. Uh, Tony um, has, for a very long time, talked about using trial unique stimuli. And that was another thing that influenced me in using all the different colored feeders. So they're subject to that too. They're in fact even, I don't have, there's no way I have time to explain this. I will tell you one thing, that you can also train them up in something called symbolic matching sand. So you show them, instead of red, you show them a triangle, then you give them a choice between red and green. And they have to learn that triangle means red and square means green. That's called symbolic matching the sample. And we'll talk more about that next time because this experiment is going to take me 25 minutes to explain it. But it's probably the, it's probably the coolest experiment uh, in animal cognition like ever. And it was done by a guy named Herb Lab that was in Hawaii. Thanks, guys. A feeling that I can't break a mistake out and it's fine, but it's already been one. Let's go. Everyone knows that they know, but I don't. Lots of horror in the show, so I'm sure. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's
podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.